1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter number 3, 1 Samuel chapter number 3, um, we'll go ahead and read a few verses here and we'll get into something here tonight. Verse number one says, And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. And it came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down in his place, and his eyes began to wax dim that he could not see. And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. And Samuel was laid down to sleep, that the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Here am I. And he ran unto Eli and said, Here am I, for thou callest me. And he said, I called not, lie down again. And he went and lay down. And the Lord called yet again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And he answered, I called not, my son, lie down again. And Samuel did not yet know the Lord, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. And the Lord called Samuel again a third time. And arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And Eli perceived that the Lord had called the child. Therefore Eli said unto Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be, if he call thee, that thou shalt say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. So Samuel went and lay down in his place, and the Lord came and stood, and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant Heareth. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you, Lord, very much for allowing us to be in church here tonight. Father, I pray, Lord, in the next few moments, the things that you've laid on my heart, Lord, that you'd help me to bring them out as personal as they are. Father, I pray, Lord, that it would not come off as, as boasting or self-promotion, but, Father, that rather it would come off as a, a glorification of just what you've done in a sinner's life. God, I pray, Lord, that you would uh, bless the uh, congregation here tonight. May we be edified in the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that you would speak through me now in this time. And, uh, Father, I pray that we leave here just a little bit better than what we came. Lord, wash me in the blood, put a guard about my mouth. And, uh, Lord, I pray that you would be pleased with what's done here this evening. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Here in 1 Samuel chapter 3... We see the calling of a young man in Samuel. And Samuel's a great prophet in Israel, one of the greatest prophets that Israel ever had. And uh, I, was, I was asked a question last night at this youth event. And I, I echo what Pastor said. It's amazing when you get these young people together, how they interact with one another. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, the, uh, do you have some knuckleheads? You always have knuckleheads. I mean, in church, we got knuckleheads. I mean, come on, let's be real, you know. You have knuckleheads no matter where you go. But for the, for the majority, or for the most part, there's a camaraderie, and there's a kindred spirit, and there's a fellowship, and there's a desire to serve God that you just don't see a lot in young people. What I appreciate the most is the sincerity in which they have towards the Lord. You understand what I'm saying? You live in a world now where everything is fake, right? Even the emotions of young people and adults alike, it's, there's, there's something that's disingenuous about what they do and how they present themselves. 
I appreciate things that are authentic and real and sincere. And you look at these young people and how they respond to preaching and how they interact with one another, and you go, they're just, they're real. It's not put on. It's not a show. It's not that, it's not that we're conjuring up some spirit and, trying to, and try to woo them to the altar and garner some response through some ancillary means or, or different means that is outside of the Word of God. We're not doing that. And so the response to what's happening is genuine. And I appreciate that. But I was asked a question by uh, another youth pastor um, last night. And he said, he said, in your experience, when do young people make their faith theirs and it's no longer their parents? He says, when does that take place? And I answered the question in a very, very long format. <laughs> um, but I said, the, the duty of a young person, and this, is, and this has been, this is, I guess, I believe it's biblical. I, I believe that this is, I have scripture to back up what I'm saying right now. I'm not just talking. Um, uh, there's, there's different age groups in the Bible. There's children in the Bible. Children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Right? There's commands given to children in the Bible. Okay? A direct uh, relationship with their parents where their parents are over, over them and their only duty is to obey and do exactly what their parents tell them to do and their, and their, and their success as children is based on their, uh, their attitude towards their parents and how they obey and respond. And as parents, the, the success of that isn't so much on the child as it is on you. And how you, that's why the Bible says, train up a child in the way that he should go. That's, that's the obligation is on the parent to do that. Amen. And then there's youth. But the Bible says that youth, childhood and youth are vanity. So what do you do with that? So you can tell a young person, everything you do, everything you do in your life as a young person is vain. Well, that's not very, like, motivating. <laughs> it doesn't get me up in the morning thinking, yeah, what I'm doing today is important, you know. But in Ecclesiastes, where he tells you that youth is vain, he says this. He says, young person, you know what he tells you? I'm just, I'm just, just again, this isn't the message. I'm just trying to set something up. He says, do whatever in your eyes to do. Pastor preached on having a vision. What do you, he, he challenged the young people. He says, what, what, what do you want to do? What's your vision for the future? Spiritually, even career-wise, how are you going to survive in the world? What's your vision? So, so Ecclesiastes says, whatever's in your eyes, whatever comes into your heart, he says, do it. And then he says, but remember this. Whatever you choose to do, whatever it is, just know that that's going to be brought into judgment. You see that? The responsibility shifted. It's no longer on the parent. Now, you're still living underneath your parents' roof, and there's, that, that didn't, it didn't disqualify the obligation to obey because you're underneath their roof, right? But the, the onus in which for you to get what you're supposed to get when you become a youth isn't on your parents anymore. It's on you. And so the duty of youth ministry, if you will, or the duty of young people and this time frame, this, this phase of life is for you to develop the habits and the relationship 
between you and the Lord that's going to set you up for the remainder of your life. How do you know that? Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, let no man despise thy youth. That's how I know when, when, uh, when uh, Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes, he was not demeaning youth. He wasn't demeaning it because Paul said, let no man despise it. He says, but be thou an example unto the believers. And he tells them in in doctrine and faith and purity and conversation. He says for the young people to be an example to all the other believers. What a thought. That the young people are supposed to be an example to the older folks. Now you would think that that's backwards. Well, it's also reciprocal because the Bible tells older people to be an example to the younger people. You know what there is? There's a symbiotic relationship when things are done correctly that the young people are showing the old people, hey, listen, we're trying to develop a relationship with God. You need to keep focused on that because you're not, you're not dead yet. You need to keep continually developing your relationship. And then the, young, the older people are trying to show you, hey, listen, we're trying to pull you up to maturity. We're trying to pull you up into adulthood. And that thing is, is, is a reciprocal relationship that if done correctly in the church, everyone is edified by each other. Amen. You see? And then I go to answer the question of when does it become real to the young person? Well, here's the problem. There's no way to test if you've done a good job as a teenager or a young person in developing your relationship with the Lord until you hit a transition period. Now, we're dispensationalists, so we know a little bit about transitional periods now, don't we? Amen. Well, the Bible has transitional periods and transitional books in our dispensational way of viewing the Bible, and guess what? Your life is no different. You have transitional times in your life, and one transition, and I think it's one of the hardest transitions, is from teenager to young adult. You want to know why? Because at that moment, when you couple everything that you've been exposed to in the church with the independence and the responsibility of adulthood, then your relationship and your habits are tested. And you don't know how real God is to you, or you don't know how good your relationship with the Lord is until you hit that transition in your life. Because you can fake everything. You can, t- you can answer the right questions. You can go to the altar when you're supposed to go to the altar. You can sing and you can do all the things that you're supposed to do and be in, in line with that. And guess what? Your relationship with God falls flat on His face. The minute you get a job, you enter the world and you get some independence, you fall flat on your face and you don't, and you don't even look like you did uh, six months before you got all that. And so you're in a passage of, and you're in a, a portion of Scripture here You know what the Bible tells you in the first verse of that scripture? He tells you that the word of God was precious in those days. He said that there was no open vision. There was no open vision. But you scratch your head and you look in the next verse... And you see that the priest, the man who is responsible for keeping the standard up and keeping the, and keeping the other visions or versions out, if you will, he starts to lose his vision. And then by verse 3, the light that's in the Holy of Holies that's supposed to be lit continually 
goes out under his watch. And so you scratch your head and you go, well, I thought the word of God was precious. I thought there was no open vision. And ultimately, Ichabod was going to be written over the post. How does that happen when the word of God is precious and there's no open vision? You know what that tells us young people and adults alike? Because if we understand that the relationship is symbiotic and it's secular and we're all supposed to be edifying one another, you know what that means? That guess what? If you're a Bible-believing Baptist, every standard you can possibly imagine, you have every uh, jot and tittle, you got all the dispensational things, you don't allow any other version, you, don't have, you have all the things that you're supposed to have, it's not enough. It's not enough. Your Bible education isn't enough. Hey, listen, I'm thrilled to death that we've got a bunch of, we've got Bible school graduates in here. We've got people that are, we've got, what, eight or nine of you that are going through TBDI right now? That's wonderful. And I'm not trying to put a wet blanket on your education in any way, shape, or form. But I'm going to tell you right now, it's not enough. It's not enough. Why? The light went out. And the Word of God was precious. And there was no open vision. And guess what? They lost it all. They lost it all. And I was telling these people this. I said, what was the problem? You see Bible-believing kids. You see Bible-believing adults. Been serving God for years, and all of a sudden, they're gone. What happened? You had the Bible right. You had the right preaching. You had the right teaching. You had all the right standards. You had, I mean, you knew all the stuff you needed to know, but the light goes out. You know what the problem was? They stopped hearing from God. You see, knowing stuff isn't enough. You know what, you need, you know what Samuel needed? He needed to hear God's voice. You know what we need? We need to hear God's voice. You say, are you going to preach a message on this tonight? Not really. I told you guys uh, a couple weeks ago when um, I was up here um, that I I was going to give some form of testimony here. And and you know what? I want to do that tonight. But it's not going to be a testimony, oh, it started when I was born and it ended, you know... (laughs) It'll end when I die, and I'm not going to go through all the details of of my life necessarily, but you know what I've realized in the time that I've been serving the Lord and trying to do things for God? There's one thing that's evident in my life, and I'm not saying this to brag. I know what God's voice sounds like. I know what God's voice sounds like for me, because here's the deal. God's going to talk to me, and he ain't going to talk to you the same way. So you know what has to happen, young people? Yes, you need, you absolutely need to learn your Bible. You absolutely need to learn what, uh, uh, you know, how to conduct yourself in church. You have to learn, you know, uh, uh, how, to, how to pray and the, and the routines and the, and, and the habits that you should form in this time frame. But you have to understand, in order for you to be successful in the transitions of life, Wherever those transitions may be, and it's not just from teenager to young adult. There's transitions when you, get, when you go from single to being married. And there's transitions from when you have your first child. There's transitions when the kids move out. And there's transitions when you get older. And I'm not going to speak on those things. <laughs> right? But you go through transitions in life. And how do you do that? Knowing the book just isn't enough. You have to know 
how to hear God's voice. Because that's the voice that guides you through the transitions. And if you can't hear Him, the light will go out. The light will go out. Say, how do you know that? God speaks to Samuel, and Eli has to go to Samuel and say, what did God say? He's the priest. How come he doesn't know what God's doing? Because he can't hear him anymore. And you know what happened? The devil come through while he was, his vision was lost. And he had all his standards and he had all his right doctrine. And the devil snuck in that holy of holies and went and blew the light out. And so God, he's going to take a young man. You know what he's going to do? He's going to start talking to him. You know what I see here, and I'm just going to relate this back to me personally and tell you some stories and be really, really easy listening, and then we'll go home. You know what I find here? I find that God started talking to Samuel before Samuel even knew him. All right, verse 7, what does he say? He says he didn't even know the Lord yet. You know, I was an 8-year-old boy. Some of you heard these, these, these stories, and I don't mean to tell the same stories over and over again. I guess I kind of feel like pastor with Navy stories, but they're my stories. Amen. I don't think my stories are nearly as impressive as his, but they're my stories nonetheless. And some of you in here, maybe you haven't heard them. I don't know. But as an eight-year-old boy, I wasn't raised in church. And I'm not saying that to say that I had a bad, a horrible home life. I, listen, I was loved as a child. My mother loved me. My dad loved me. They had their issues, right? But guess what, folks? Every family has issues. All right, <laughs> you can use them and cry about them or whatever, but guess what? Every family's got issues. My family had issues and everything else. Yes, I was raised on a dairy farm. I learned how to work. Uh, I had to, had to do chores before I went to school, chores when I got home. Summer vacations were a mess because we had to do all that other stuff. But you know what? As an eight-year-old boy, I remember the one thing that sticks out in my mind is I was absolutely petrified to die. And I'd ask my mom, my, my room was over here and there was a living room right off my door. We lived in the attic space of an old Victorian house. Uh, this house was so run down and dilapidated that when we first moved into this house, it was in the middle of a cow pasture and cows could walk through the bottom level of this house. That was how open it was. There's cow manure all on the bottom of that house because cows have been walking through it. And my cousin Stan moved downstairs, and then my mom, who had just been uh, divorced from my father, uh, my stepdad and her got together, and then they started remodeling the upstairs attic of that old Victorian home, and that's where we lived. And there was two bedrooms, a small little kitchen area and living room area, and then eventually we remodeled where my mom's bedroom was back down the hallway a little bit, but it was all, the ceilings were all like this, so I mean, you're in an attic, so... There's certain areas of the house, even to this day, you got to walk like this, and that's the hallway. <laughs> you know, we were very poor, very poor. Um, my mom, she worked uh, for a couple different places, um, barely made any money in social work, that kind of thing. Um, and my stepdad, I think he, I think his last I asked my mom, it was like three hundred dollars every two weeks is what he made on the farm. So we were very, very poor. Um, we had to heat our house with burning 44 cords of wood every year in upstate New York. We had no, we had no uh, uh, gas heat for the longest time. We had to go out, find 44 cords of wood, cut it, 
get it in a trailer, bring it back, split it, stack it. Uh, and that's what we lived off of during the winter. Uh, every year, our, our septic tank would freeze because it got so cold in those New York winters. We had to go to the bathroom in buckets. And then we would take those buckets down the stairs and into the manure pile, and we would throw them. That would happen every single day. That was every winter. And I lived in a place where just down the street, there was, to this day, there's no electricity down that road. It's still a dirt road. I'm... <laughs> We had a corner store. That's where you got your haircut. That's where you rented videos. That's where you ordered your food. That's where, um, you know, you went to fellowship. <laughs> that, was, that was the corner store. We called it DJ's. And you go in there and you get your haircut. You rent a movie. You get a pizza. <laughs> you know, get your, get your gas. You know, he has a gas station, you know. And uh, in those, and I, where I was at, it was, it was a time warp. You could go there and say, hey, DJ, put it on my tab. And you say, all right, man, we'll see you later. And you walk out the front door. And you come back and you pay your tab. Now, you can't do that now. That's called stealing. Unless you're in California, then I guess you can do that now. Uh, as long as it's underneath the sum of $1,000, you can get away with it. You just say, put it on my tab, I'm out. <laughs> and you can leave. <laughs> but... Uh, we're raised up there, and as an eight-year-old boy, my mom was sitting in that living room, and I'd see underneath the door frame, I could see that there was a light on the living room. And as long as that light was on, I knew mom was there, and I felt safe. The minute I saw that light go out, I'd say, Mom! It to I tortured my mom. I tortured her. She knew the minute she shut that light off, I'd go, Mom! She'd say, what? I'm like, you going to bed? No, honey, I'm just sitting here. And she'd lie to me. She's a liar. That's why I am what I am. My mother lied to me as a child. <laughs> and I, she'd come in and I'd say, Mom, I'm just scared to die. Can you imagine your eight-year-old? I've got some of them now. <laughs> I couldn't imagine my kid coming up to me and saying, Dad, I'm just so scared to die and you don't know what to tell him. And so one night, I mean, I knew about God. I'd never been to church. I'd never heard a preacher. I didn't know how God worked. I didn't, I, I had been around Catholicism from where I'm up in upstate New York. That's all they got. And so I knew that there was a God, but I didn't know anything about him. And so I said, how do you pray? And my mom said, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us. And deliver us not into evil, right? You all know it. And so she says, just pray that. And so I'd pray that. And then I'd pray it again. And I'd pray it again. And I'd pray it again. And I remember one night I got so frustrated. I prayed it three or four times. And I said, man, Lord, I don't even know if I'm getting through. And... That was the first time I heard God's voice. God's voice came to me in that room, and he said, now we're talking. And I was like, oh, that's how you talk to God. You just talk to him. And so in my little eight-year-old mind, you know what I thought? I said, okay, so the way that you get to God is you say that our Father. And that gets you in the door. And now you've got his attention because that's like the password. And then I would talk to God, and I'd say, God, I'm so scared to die. I don't know why I'm so scared to die. Ain't nobody in my school 
talk like that. Nobody, you know, I mean, I'm petrified. I'm, I don't even know why I'm that way. I don't know what, I didn't have a tragedy in my life. I didn't have somebody die at that time in my life that would cause me to, to fear it. It's not like I had a traumatic experience. I just, why am I so afraid of this? And I'd get done talking to the Lord and then I'd say, I'm not going to say amen. Because I thought if you said amen, that meant God went away. And so I said, Lord, I said, would you just leave, would you just leave a window open? Would you just leave a door open so I know that you're here? You say, how long did that go on for? Until I was 13 years old. Until I was 13 years old, I did that every night. And then 13 years old, you've heard this illustration before, so I won't spend a lot of time in detail on it, but my father passed away. And when my father passed away, I went into the funeral home and I walked into the funeral home and I went over to the casket and I looked at my dad and they did a horrible job on him. I mean, he looked, he looked horrible, he looked like a vampire. And uh, he had slick back black hair and face was all pressed back and they just made him, I mean, I've seen de- a bunch of dead bodies and not all dead bodies are painted equally. <laughs> he was just white as a ghost. And I remember his hand, his hand was sitting there, and my dad, his veins was all out. And, and uh, I went and reached into that casket, and I grabbed his hand, and you know what? That voice came back. And he said, there it is. And I'm like, who in the world is in this room? He says, that's what you've been afraid of all this time. That's death. You're looking it right in the face. And I was just like, Whoa. Where did that come from? You see? You know what? That was the second time I ever heard God's voice. I didn't know who it was at the time. You know, two weeks after that, I had a kid in my neighborhood invite me to church. And I heard the gospel. And ended up getting saved. (laughs) Amen? I ended up getting saved. You know what? I've I've heard people say, uh, God doesn't hear the prayers of an unsaved man. That hits me personally. I don't believe that. I, don't, I believe that when, when Cornelius was praying, God, when God finally comes to me, he says, I heard thy prayers. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And I believe God heard my prayers. I believe God saw a young boy. And for whatever reason, that fear was instilled in me. It was in me. And I think it, I think it, it got God's ear. And he waited from the age of 8 until the age of 13. And then I'm sitting there, and he shows back up. And I'm like, oh. And I heard it. You see? you know, He showed up to Samuel before he ever even knew him. I can relate to that. <laughs> I can relate to that. You know what? The Bible tells us here that Samuel, he hears the Lord the first time. Look at where he was when he heard it. It says, it came to pass in that time that Eli was laid down in his place and his eyes began to wax dim that he could not see. And the lamp of the Lord went out in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. And Samuel was laid down to sleep. You know, I don't think it's coincidental that God tends to like to talk to people when they're by themselves. When things are quiet. When nobody else is around and the hustle and the bustle is gone, you know, 
Sometimes, especially in the world in which we live in today, things have become so fast and entertainment is so much in your face and there's always something vying for your attention that it's no wonder that the vast majority of Christians today don't know what God's voice sounds like because God is easily grieved and quenched and He's spooked off like a dove. And if we're in the midst of that hustle and bustle and we're constantly getting input from all these outside sources, it's no surprise to me that Christians have a hard time hearing God's voice. And God speaks to them when He's alone. You know, I have the testimony of a lot of young people. I got saved at the age of 13. And you know what happened? As immediately as I got saved... I really didn't, I had a church I could go to and I thank God for that church. That church served a purpose. That church, if it wasn't for that church, I would have never gotten saved. At least at that time. And I could sit here and pick flaws in anything just like you can pick flaws in anything. But I thank God that there were some people that were there that needed, that, that I needed. They at least believed that King James Bible was the word of God. And they believed in eternal security. And they believed in the right salvation. All the other stuff that I could say about him is immaterial and has since changed since then. But I'll say this. I, was, I, wasn't, I wasn't shown the Word of God and taught the Word of God and taught doctrine and those kinds of things. that I think about what our team... Listen, I'm not just saying this because I'm the youth pastor and I teach you guys. I mean, you guys have been preached to by the cream of the crop preachers across this country. Amen. It's not just one person that's invested in you. You've sat underneath pastor. You've sat underneath all these, these men that have, been, that have been brought in to preach to you. You have been given the greatest spiritual food that you could possibly be given. And I think about what you guys get, and I think about what I got, and I'm like, man, you know, it's pretty anemic spiritually. And so without having the root of the Word of God and not having the, the substance of the backing from my folks at home, I went out into the world, and I did what the world wanted me to do. I did what the world told me I should do. I acted like the world told me I should act. I dressed like the world told me I should dress. I thought the things that the world told me were cool were cool, right? I was all, I was, I was, I was all about it, and I tried to do my little church thing, and then I wanted my little world thing over here, and I lived a really, really good double life for a lot of years. Really, really good. And just so you know, I know what it looks like because I know what it was for me. Makes it a little bit easier to identify it when you've done it. Amen. Amen? And I can't tell you the amount of young people that I've stood in front of and they tell me everything, how they're doing and how everything is going. And I'm thinking, you are full of it. You are lying through your stinking teeth. And the only person you're fooling is yourself. You ain't fooling me. You ain't fooling him. And you sure ain't fooling God. But I live like that. And you know what? I know for a fact that there were some things, though, even in the midst of my debauchery and my, will you call it what you want to call it? I'm not going to go into those details. But even in the midst of that, there was things that would come across 
my, my table. There was, there was some opportunities that came to me that I could do that were some bad things that I could have done. And just as sure as the first time I heard his voice and the second time I heard his voice, I know there was one time I was at this house and we were having a party and doing this stuff and some things came and some opportunities arose. And I remember just as clear as day, God came into that stinking room and said, ah, I just want you to know if you do that, we're done. If you go through with what you're about to do, I just want you to know we're done. I'm talking no more. I wasn't some spiritual guy that was sitting in church with my Bible. I was as wicked as I could have been, but there was still somebody talking to me. I remember one account in particular I was, in a, I was in a room and the Lord said, if you do this, we're done. I turned around, tucked tail, and ran out of there. And everyone is sitting in that room going, where are you going? I'm like, I, I, got, I got to go. <laughs> and they're like, what got into him? The Lord was talking. I heard his voice. There's one time, I won't give the details of the situation, but I found myself 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning, pitch black, everyone's gone, done their own thing, and I'm laying, on a, I'm laying on the ground, my head's up against a rock, and I'm on this campsite, and I'm looking up at the stars, and the Lord's like, how you doing? And I said, don't come back right now. I said, please, please don't come back right now. I'll, I'll do better. I'm better than this. I won't. I, I'm. 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 I'm gonna do better. I'm staring up at the sky, talking to God. Amen. Just a teenager, just doing exactly what the world told me to do. You know what I found out? I found that the world puts you in a spin cycle. And what it does is it says. Hey, come do this, and then you do it. And then it says, hey, come do this, and then you do it. And then it says, hey, over here, and you do it, and then you do it, and then you realize you're back here at this first thing again. And you're like, wait a second, what's going on? And it keeps telling you what to do, and you realize that even though they put a new label on it, you're just going around in a circle. I thought to myself, I'm going nowhere. I'm, in a, I'm from a small town. Our high school graduated 64 people in my senior class. Now, I don't, I don't have nothing on you homeschoolers, but that was a public school, okay? That was a public school. And I said, I'm from a small town with a bunch of small-minded people, and I was born in this town, and I'm going to live in this town, and I'm going to die in this town, and this is all my life's going to consist of. And I remember I was, was all messed up, man. In those days, you could go across the Canadian border without a passport or nothing. You just go across the Canadian border, show them your ID, and, you know, they'd throw your car around a little bit and let you in. And you know, let's just say that the, the age restriction on things was a lot less in Canada than it was in the States. So we'd go over to Canada and have our fun and do our things, and then we'd come back over the border, and that's how we got through with that stuff while we are still in high school. And I remember, uh, I mean, I, I remember 
I was in and out of church, in and out of church, and they said, hey, we got this youth camp, and I'd gone to this youth camp before. It was a Southern Baptist youth camp. It's real contemporary, and uh, it was just getting worse and worse and worse. And uh, they said, hey, why don't you come to this youth camp? The reason I'm telling you this story is because what you see in the passage is that God speaks to Samuel despite of bad leadership. You know what he tells he, he tells you that Eli, he's lost his vision. Eli, the one that was supposed to be the gatekeeper of things that are pertaining to God, has allowed things to slip and fall into apostasy, and God is upset. And if you read in the previous chapter, you realize that God is sick and tired because Eli's sons are wreaking havoc amongst the nation of Israel. They're sleeping with the women. They're doing all kinds of debauchery when it comes to the, to the things of God and to the temple of God. And, he, and, and God says, I am done. I'm done with you. Because you're not restraining your sons from the wickedness that they're doing. What's wrong with you? You're allowing all these things to come in and slip and cause problems. And it's affecting the church. And so they say, why don't you come be a counselor at this youth camp? I have no business being a counselor at a youth camp. Zero business. Okay? And uh, we go to this, we had to show up the day early. We go to this counselor meeting and they had decided at this point that we're going to go ahead and book a Christian rock band. And instead of finding a, a, a NIV preacher, that's it, he's at least a preacher. You know, he'd preach a sermon. He'd give the plan of salvation. He wouldn't preach out of the right Bible. He'd, you know, it was flowery stuff, all that different stuff. But it's, you know, it's all gag stuff now. But what we had up there, it was good. People would get saved. Yes, you can get saved out of an NIV. It's possible. <coughs> but they said, you know, we won't have to double book. We'll just let the lead singer of the band do the preaching. And so I'm sitting there. Now, mind you, you have, to, you have to understand who I am as a person at this time. I was raised by farmers. I know what, listen, I moved out of my house at the age of 17. Got my own apartment. I worked three jobs. I worked at Kmart in the morning. I worked at, uh, at um, Adirondack Auto Parts in the afternoon. And I closed and did the night shift at Pizza Hut. From the time I was 17 years old until I left to go to Pensacola. And I had my own place. I had people over there all the time just having a ball, having a blast. But I was supporting myself as a man. I'm not saying I was mature. I'm just saying that I could do the, I could do the things that it, could, it took to support yourself without your parents doing it for you. At the age of 17. And I didn't really have much care for effeminate people. Listen, we didn't have queers in my school. Okay? We had one. He came in gym class one time. We found out he's a queer. We beat the brakes off that dude. I mean, he could barely walk out of the stinking locker room. We beat him so bad. Now, I'm not saying you should go out and beat up a faggot. I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying that's what we did, and that was a long time ago. Okay? So statute of limitations, I'm good. It's no big deal. <laughs> can't get, you can't get me for a hate crime. <laughs> I didn't throw the first punch. He did. <laughs> but I walk into this council meeting, and there's all these hippie dudes with skinny jeans and long hair and flowing discs and all this garbage. 
And uh, this guy gets up and he makes his statement to the, all the counselors. He's, and, and you have to mind, this is a Southern Baptist convention that has gone super, super liberal. And he says, I don't believe in talking about sin. I don't believe in talking about hell. I don't believe in scaring people into salvation. Now, I was not one to keep my mouth shut. We'll just say that. And you think that I'm loud now. You think you here think that I am uh, boisterous and in your face. You don't know nothing. <laughs> You're getting the best version of me right now. <laughs> you understand that? <laughs> You're getting the 15-year development version of what I was. <laughs> okay? And I had no problem standing up saying, okay, hotshot, where's the conviction come from? And I'm sitting in a room full of stinking women. These contemporary Christian, you know, ecumenical women and their husbands sitting there going, yes, what she said, you know. And then the guitar, or the, yeah, the guitar player stands up and he's just about this tall and he's got little chicken legs and he's got his painted on jeans. He stands up and turns around and he's got a little plaid shirt, you know, it's like kind of creased at the bottom. And uh, he's like, he's got his vans on and he goes, the Holy Spirit. And I was like, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> Don't you ever talk to me again. <laughs> and sure enough, we go there. The kids come. And, and we had a pretty big size youth group, okay? Uh, we, we, we did. We had a really, really big size youth group. We were a very, very rural church, obviously. And the youth leader that was there at the time, he, they, would, they would send out people. They would pick up people in cars and bring all these kids in. And we probably had 30, 40 kids in our youth group. We'd bring 50, 60 kids to youth camp every year. And, uh, and so they get there, and it's Wednesday night. Okay? And this guy's talking. I won't even call it preaching. He's talking, and he says, he gets right, he says, you know that stuff you do that's bad? You know that? And he just glazes right. He says, well, I ain't going to talk about that. And he just, like, tuck tails and runs away from the subject and moves on to something else. And, of course, I had had enough. <laughs> I'm gritting my teeth the whole time because I, I got no skin in the game, but there's something inside of me that's like, I don't like this guy. I don't like him. <laughs> and he did that, and I got this open-air tabernacle. I mean, the walls, are, there's the bug flying around. I mean, it's just an open-air tabernacle. Owl's Head, New York. And I walk out of the back of that, that tabernacle. And then the old man that started that camp, who is a King James Bible-believing Baptist preacher, who, got it, who was in the Southern Baptist Convention and allowed all these new Bible student graduates come into his church. And before you knew it, the King James Bible was gone and they were using different versions and they were doing all this different stuff. And now he's got a rock concert going on in his youth camp and it's his anniversary every year at youth camp. And he's sitting on a rock outside of that tabernacle. And there was a guy from our church, our, my old youth pastor was sitting there and he says, Harold, is this how it ends? He says, is this how your camp ends? This? And I just kind of happened to walk out while this conversation was going on. And about that time, I can tell you her name. His name was Melissa. Melissa Childs. And she came out of that tabernacle and she said, he's not telling him how to get saved. He's not telling him how to get saved. And she's bawling her eyes out. He's not telling him how to get saved. She brought five of her friends from school just so that they come to youth camp and get saved. And I don't know what happened to me that night, ladies and gentlemen. 
But I walked in the back of that tabernacle and I said, everybody from our church to the basketball court right now. And there's 40, 50 kids on this basketball court. Now, mind you, this basketball court is maybe 100 yards away from the tabernacle. And I'm on that basketball court and it's all lit up. And it's dark, just very pale light there. And I said, that man up there doesn't love you. That man doesn't care if you die and go to hell. That man doesn't know even how to get to heaven himself, I'm sure. And I, and I preached my first sermon on that basketball court. I say, what was the points? I don't know what they were. I don't know. I didn't use a passage of scripture. Didn't have a Bible on me at the time. But I preached my first sermon. And I gave an invitation. And seven kids came out of that group and bowed down and asked Jesus Christ to save them on that basketball court. They got up. I didn't know any Bible. I'd just been told the reason that you know that you're saved and you can't lose it is because the Bible says that God puts you in the palm of his hand and no man can pluck you out of it. So I walked, and I knew that the, the illustration was if you close your hand, nobody can open your hand. And then I realized after I did that a few times, there's people that are strong enough to do that. <laughs> they can hurt your fingers real bad, too. They'll open that hand. <laughs> But ain't nobody there was strong enough. I had adrenaline and God running through me, man. Nobody was opening my hand in that illustration. <laughs> man, I was on fire. And I said, try to open my hand. <laughs> and I said, that's how God keeps you. Don't you ever let anybody tell you, you, had, you if you got saved tonight, you're saved forever. Nobody can take you out of God's hand. You know what happened? Those 50 kids, I mean, the, the camp's in chaos. These kids, they run down, they're screaming, shouting, they run back down to the cabin. I have no idea what's going on. I'm walking down this little path, and I feel this little tug on my shirt. This kid, I turn around, he says, listen, Joe, I've never, I don't know you. I'm from a different church. I just, I've heard what you said. I have never heard that in my life. I need to get saved. And we knelt down in that little gravel path, and I led that kid to the Lord. And he went down, down to the cabin. And I walked down a little bit more. That grass is in the middle. I got the gravel on both sides, you know. And I'm walking a little further, and I feel another little tug on my shirt. And I turn around. This little kid, probably 11 years old, 12 years old, looks up at me, and he says, Listen, I knew him from another church. He said, Joe, I've been in church my whole life. I've never heard something like that before. I always doubted my salvation. I just want you to know, I listened to what you said. I don't doubt my salvation anymore. Thank you for telling me that. And I can take you, I can, this, is, this is such a blessing. I can take you to this spot in Alice Head, New York, where there's a big old pine tree. And there's a, there's a big old fire pit there. And there's a bunch of trees that are sawn in half and they're set out in the amphitheater type, you know, where they would do their bonfires and stuff. And underneath that big pine tree, there's a big fluorescent light. And that white purplish hue light that comes down, you can see all the pine needles lit up. And right underneath that tree, there's a little, there's a little two by four platform with a water fountain that came out. And I got right between that water fountain and that, and that uh, fire pit, and I hit the ground on my knees. You know what I heard? I heard that voice again. And he said, go to Bible school. And I said, I got no business going to Bible school. But I said, if that's what church is going to be, i got to do something. I said, if that's, if that's what is going to, if this is where it's going, 
I mean, I, gotta, I, can't, just, I can't just let people like him. I, I, my whole life was just about me. My whole life was just consumed with what Joe wanted to do. And then I saw in this picture of time, I was in this secular worldly cycle where I just had God here. And I just let God do what he was going to do over here. But I had my life over here. But in that moment, I saw that there was a problem. And that was that the church thing that I just had is this ancillary thing. This just side little gig that I had over here. I saw that this was in jeopardy because that is what's coming down the pipe. And I said, if I do nothing, then more and more people like him are going to be the ones that are talking to the young people and talking to folks, and they're not going to tell them the truth. And I said, okay, I'll go. And two weeks later, I packed everything I had in my little 2000 Toyota Corolla, and I drove 26 hours to Pensacola, Florida. And I decided that night I was going to change my life. Because I heard somebody talking. I'm not, I'm not reading 10 pages a day. I'm not even in church every Sunday. I'm living a double life. And you know what? God is seeing my heart. And God's seeing some things. And He's still talking. Let me tell you something, folks. You think knowing the Bible is everything. It's not. It's knowing His voice. I got back down to the cabin. You know what's happening? Listen, New York, where I'm from, does not have a rich Baptist heritage. They didn't have any camp meetings to look back on. They didn't have any Christians that were up there that were real Bible believers and they taught them how to, like Brother Pilkington was talking about, like we show, we're going to show the generation how to worship God. We're going to show them how to come to church. We're going to show them. They've never been shown that before. There was no shout and hoop and holler North Carolina type meetings up there. It was the darkness of the Roman Catholic Church. And I walked into that cabin with 30 young men. You know what they were doing? They were screaming and shouting and crying and hanging off the rafters and running around that stinking cabin. Glory to God! Hallelujah! There's kids crying in their beds, praying. I'm not, I've never told this side of the story. And I'm not telling it tonight to make myself something special. But I'm telling you, if there was ever a revival that I saw, that was a revival that broke out. Just a small little thing. Alice Head, New York. Nobody except for me and you now know about it. And the ones that were there for it. And then all of a sudden, the other kids from some of the other churches, the, the less contemporary churches, there was a bunch of us there. Probably 400 kids in that camp. There's probably about 100 kids. God just touched them. And they're running around screaming, shouting, hollering, praise the Lord. I come back in. They're hugging me. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for preaching. I've, that's, I've never seen like this before. Went to bed that night. Woke up the next morning. You know what happened? That guy had the nerve to get up and say something. He said, you know what you kids need to get you through life? He was a Christian rock band. He says, you know what you kids need to get you through life? You need some good Christian music. And you know what happened? That dead, dehydrated, Eli, 
of a preacher that was sitting on that rock the the night before who hadn't heard the voice of God in so long busted through the back of that tabernacle and said, you're wrong. They need that book to get them through life. And he said, you're done. Pack your stuff. Get out of here. And you should have seen those ladies in that stinking tabernacle, brother. They were oh, God, I can't believe he's ruining this youth camp. It's only Thursday. Oh, and they're screaming, Harold, you're going to pay for this. Harold, you're going to pay for this. Those ladies going, they, they, those ladies came up to me. Those ladies came up to me. We were singing hymns in line. They say, I hate hymns. That's what they said. They said it just like that. I hate hymns. I'm telling you something. That old preacher got a little fire underneath his belly. And you know what? I know where that guy lives to this day. He moved down the road from my my house. One of the last times I was up in New York, I was driving down the road, and I saw that sucker standing on the side of the road. And I walked up to him, and I said, you Harold Clark? He said, yeah. I said, I'm Joe Biano. You probably don't even know me. I said, I watched what you did at that youth camp all them years ago. And I just want to say, sure appreciate it. Did a lot for me. You know? You know what? You got to hear God's voice. You need God's voice. How are you going to get through life? You can know all the Bible in the world and it ain't going to do you a bit of good if you can't hear His voice. His voice is what gives you direction. His voice is what takes the Word of God and then makes it practical and then tells you how to use it. It's His voice that tells you where to go in the decisions you make. How do you hear His voice? I heard it that day, man. I heard it. I heard it. I went to PBI. Let me tell you, man. I started lapping that stuff up. I, I sat underneath Dr. I didn't even know who Dr. Rutman was, man. I had no idea. I knew Brother Donovan. That's the only reason I knew PBI existed. I heard him preach twice at a church in Syracuse. I went to a blowout once. Stayed at PCC because you know what you can do? You, hey, you may try this. I don't know. You can go to PCC and say, hey, I'm interested in being a student. And they'll let you stay there for a week. Free room and board, no, even feed you. <laughs> so you know what I did? Went down there to Pensacola, went to uh, PCC, got me my my three hot in a cot, and went to the blowout. <laughs> you should have seen them little fags, man. They're in that stinking room. They're <laughs> standing there, <laughs> and and they're talking about God. And I was like, Oh yeah, we're over at the the, the blowout. And they're like, What? And I was like, Yeah, Peter Ruckman. They're like, <laughs> they've they've infiltrated us. <laughs> Unbelievable. I went down there and started hearing the word of God, and I said, Oh my goodness, there's a whole lot more to this than I ever even thought. Never even thought. The folks that were in that church up there, they said, just go for a year, come back, that's all you need. <laughs> I go with that, I go down for a year, go back up home. 
I, I got a, went to the hospital. I had a blood pressure of like 180-something over 115. <laughs> I'm sitting in the emergency room with EKG and all this stuff. I had a, I had a, a dating a girl for about two years at that time, and she's sitting there. My mom's sitting there, chest's all, you know, covered in sticky stuff, and my mom's sitting there with tears in her eyes, and my girlfriend's holding my hand, and she's like, you can't go back down there. You can't go back down to that school. You can't go back down there. But you know what? I had heard the voice of God. You know what I told her? I said, Mom, if I don't go back down there, God will kill me for sure. You want to know why I knew that? Because it was God that told me to go. And there was no... There was no EKG, mom, weeping girlfriend that could stop it because God told me to go. And I heard his voice and I knew it was him. I knew it was him. You know what? God talked to Samuel. Didn't matter about the leadership. You know, I hear some people say, oh, I just can't get none out of church, you know, and, and, they, say, and they, they, try to blame, they try to blame leadership, pastor in the church, all that different stuff. God talked to Samuel loud and clear. Your pastor, your preacher ain't any worse than Eli. <laughs> you tell me God ain't talking to you. No, you can't hear him. You can't hear him. You know, the last thing you know, I see, go over to uh, verse number 20. The Bible says, In all Israel from Dan... Excuse me, starting verse 19. And Samuel grew. I mean, I'm sure thankful God grows us. And He's patient with us. And things take time to grow. And you make mistakes. And you fall on your face. And you do stupid things. And the Lord, He prunes you. And He makes you sure that you got the right amount of water. And He makes sure all these things He takes care of and He allows you to grow. The Bible says that Samuel grew. And the Lord was with him because he was talking to him. The Lord was with him. You know what I've known? God's with me. And I can feel him when he moves. And I know when he's not there. When I've grieved him, I know when he's not there. And when he talks, I can hear him. I know what his voice sounds like. And he says, and the Lord was with him. And did let none of his words fall to the ground. And verse 20 says, And all Israel from Dan even to Beersheba saw that Samuel was established to be a prophet of the Lord. You know, the only thing I ever wanted from that day on that road at that youth camp, the only thing that day that I was ever interested in pursuing at that point was learning the Bible and being a preacher. That's it. I didn't go to school to be a businessman. I didn't go to school to learn a trade. I didn't go to school uh, to get a degree. I went to school because that day God told me what to do. Go to Bible school. And you know what God did for Samuel? God started to establish Samuel. And I can say this as part of my testimony. The Lord has established me. He's settled me. Take your Bibles, go to just a few pages over to chapter 7. 
I'm not saying this as if I've arrived into some pinnacle. What I'm trying to get at here is found in verse number 15. The Bible says, Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life, and he went from year to year in circuit to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah, and judged Israel in all those places. And his return was to Ramah, for there was his house. And there he judged Israel, and there he built an altar unto the Lord. The Lord established Samuel, but Samuel never allowed the ministry to destroy his home. He created an altar in his home. Right? The Lord established him. The Lord gave him, uh, a, 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 Lord gave him a home. The Lord gave him something. He gave him more than just the calling to be a preacher. He established him as a human being. We're talking about hearing God's voice. And I'm telling you this. I'm telling you the moments in my life where I know for a fact I've heard God speak to me. Can I say this? He doesn't speak to me all the time like that. Nor does He you. Sometimes He allows me to just do things. Sometimes you go into things and you're not quite sure, you're not quite sure what it is. You try, to, you try to line it up with what you know about the Bible. You line it up with what God's told you to do and it's as much as you know how and you move forward cautiously. That's a lot of the time. Sometimes the Lord impresses you in a sermon or in a church service, right? Sometimes that's the way it goes. But you don't always get it. You don't always get it like this. And there's only a handful of times in my life where I've heard God's voice. But I'm telling you, if you are going to make it and your light's not going to go out, you had better learn how to hear God's voice. Amen. I was praying for a wife, man. <sighs> I wanted a wife. I was a, I was a bear to have in Pensacola because I got to the place where I saw that there was X amount of ladies in Pensacola. And every guy wanted one of them ladies. So class would get out and there'd be one lady and there'd be like five guys around that one lady and there'd be a lady over here and there'd be five guys around that lady. And so I got to the place where I walk out and go, like a bunch of dogs. (laughs) I was a handful, dude. (laughs) I mean, I was praying for a wife, praying for a wife, praying for Went all through three years of Bible college, no wife. By myself. I won't get into the PBI horror stories, but they're there. <laughs> By myself. And uh, I get to Indiana. I didn't have, God didn't speak to me and say, go to Indiana. It wasn't like Bible school. The Lord just said, here's a little door and... I did the best I could. I sought some counsel from some guys. Should Maybe shouldn't knock out counsel from them. Maybe you should. I don't know. We'll shake it out. Lord, will shake it out in eternity. I think I got a pretty good deal out of it, even though it hurt real bad. I like my wife a lot. <laughs> but I go to Indiana, praying for a wife, praying for a wife there for a couple of years. And, uh, man, the Lord, there's this family in the church. I'm over at their house, and... They have this family come down that they knew, and here's this girl. I was like, man, she's awful pretty. And dad was a pastor. She was going to Hiles Anderson. I mean, clean. You talk about clean. You couldn't get any cleaner than that. You can't even get accepted to Hiles Anderson unless you're clean. (laughs) You know? 
And, I mean, if you were to check the boxes of what you want in a Christian girl, like, she would check all the boxes, right? There's nothing on the outside that you would say, there's anything wrong with this girl. You think this is a perfect preacher's wife. I was a preacher. I was in the ministry. I was preaching. I'd preach meetings. I'd preach youth camps. I, I, I was already doing all that stuff before I ever had a wife. And I'm just lonely, man. <laughs> Stinking lonely. I know what it's like to stink and live and be broke and have nothing and be by yourself and and go home and you're the you know you're the only, you're, you're the guy that's preaching and then you leave go home and you're the only one there. <laughs> and so I was like praying. I was like, Lord, is this girl? Is this girl? He said nothing. I was like, I'm scared to death. And I'm like. Lord, I've been praying for a long time, and this girl, she seems like a really great girl. And he says, see what you think. Well, he didn't really say anything. So I pursued cautiously, and we dated for about six months and talked on the phone and, and you know, courted and all this different stuff and, and talked to her dad, and things were kind of getting serious. We're talking about getting married. Those conversations had come up, you know, and, and uh, I remember one time I asked her, I said, why don't you pray about something for me? And it wasn't, a, it wasn't something that was going to go against her dad or pit her again. It wasn't anything like that. It was just, hey, would you pray about this and let me t- see what you think. See what you get from the Lord about it. Two weeks go by, I give her a call on the phone, and I said, hey, what did you, you ever get anything about that thing we talked about a couple weeks ago? She said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I talked to my dad, and he said this, 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 and this. And the Lord talked again. He says, you're a preacher, huh? I said, yeah. He says, you want your wife to be able to get a hold of me, or do you, just, you want her to always have to be uh, cling to her dad? And I said, God, she is as clean as a hound's tooth. She's pretty. I've never had a girl this pretty talk to me. What in the world are you doing? <laughs> You're against me. <laughs> right? You know what I did? I said, yeah, Lord, you're right. I know that my ministry will be will rise and fall on who I marry. And so, I let her, we parted ways. You know what I could not have ever planned? We're going to have a revival just a few weeks after that. And this girl I'd never seen before would come to our church. And uh, she's, her mom was going through a hard time. Her mom cut my hair. I didn't even know she had a daughter. Thankful she did. But I didn't know at the time. Her mom was about ready to quit church because her brother was in and out of prison. Her husband was dependent on pain medications and all kinds of addiction problems and mental health problems, bipolar and everything else. Mom worked three jobs. Uh, She was living with her boyfriend at the time, getting ready to go to college. And she saw that she was, I mean, she was saved, but she had seen that her mom was the pillar, the spiritual pillar in her house all growing up. And when she saw that her mom was about to quit church, she, it freaked her out. And she thought in her mind, if my mom quits church, my family is absolutely doomed. And you know what she did? She came to church. And a revival was there. And uh, there was preaching. She had just gotten a job at Kohl's. And uh, the Kohl's people wouldn't give her the rest of the nights of the revival off, so she quit her job. She just got it. <laughs> Jobs aren't as easy to get now, weren't as easy to get uh, then as they are now. <laughs> Now you just walk in and they're like, hey, you want a uniform? <laughs> we'll take anybody. You got one leg? We, we'll take you. It's no big deal. Just hop along. Do something. 
It was hard to get a job. And you know what she did? She quit it. She had just uh, signed up for IUPUI. She spent $3,000. And then her family, that was a lot of money. And, uh, and it was past the time where she could return her books and everything. But she says, I really think God wants me to go to this church and go to this Bible Institute they have at the church. I was teaching at the Bible Institute at the time. And she quits, her, she quits college and she joins the Bible Institute. Not only that, towards the end of the revival, the evangelist that was there, I want, Cliff Taylor was at that meeting. Cliff, Cliff Taylor was at that meeting. And another brother was there. And you know what they did? They got up there and they said, we're going to take up an offering for this girl. We can't believe we, this girl, she quit her job to come here. Let's take, they took up like 350 bucks. I'm going to tell you something. Nobody told her a thing. You know what she did? She took that $350 and she went out to the store and bought all new clothes that she'd come to church in them. You know what else she did that night? She went home, she got on her computer, and she deleted every social media that she had on her computer. You say, oh, you're just saying this because you want us to delete our social media. No, I'm simply telling you what she did on her own without anybody telling her what to do. No one told her to do that. She was scared that God was going to leave her family and that her family was going to be doomed who was already in the midst of struggle. And she said, and if you know anything about Miss Page, when she puts her head to something, it's stinking going to happen, dude. It, it's not, she is not, oh, I'm, I'm like a, a leaf in the wind, you know. She's just like a bulwark, you know. She's like a head, like a flint, man. That's what she is. She's my anchor. <laughs> and she says, all right, I'm going to get right with God, and I'm going to do this church thing. And she deleted everything. She dropped off the face of the planet. So much so, there'd be nice she show up. she show up to Bible college, and the people that she used to run with would, would come into the parking lot and start saying, yelling things to her across the parking lot because they saw her going to church. And you know what she'd do? I'd, I'd, I'm sorry. I still have red blood in me. We were walking up there one night, some guys coming across that parking lot. Hey, Paige. And they start saying some things to her. And I don't know what happened. I got really mad. <laughs> I started marching across that. I said, what would you say? <laughs> and she's like, Joe, just let's, let's go to class. Just go to class. Leave them alone. Leave them alone. And I'm like, nah, get off me, man. What's that? <laughs> I was like, ready to go, you know. I'm walking across this thing. I was like, what would you say? And the Lord's like, hey, uh, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm going to go whoop the fire out of these guys, Lord. Give me the strength of Samson. <laughs> I'm going to rip the jawbone off these, you know, guys. <laughs> and the Lord says, uh, you might want to just chill out for a second. So I, I get up there, and I had some gospel tracks in my pocket. And, I, and I, the first thing that came out of my mouth, because it was very visible that we were about to have a confrontation based on the dialogue that we had had up to that moment. And... Uh, and the Lord's like, you better not touch them, guys. I'm like, okay. And so the only thing I could think of was, do you know where you're going when you die? <laughs> and they were like, whoa, that went a totally different way than what we thought it was going to go. I didn't really expect that, you know. <laughs> we go back. But that's the kind of stuff that was happening all the time. She dropped off the face of the planet. Two weeks later, we go to Columbus for a... a, a Street Preaching Blitz. I was preaching for Jimmy Hood down there at the, at the Street Preaching Blitz. And we we're sitting in the Beechler's house. 
Job and Barnabas, they come here sometimes. His mom had a, had a house there in, uh, just off of uh, Dublin Granville Road. And we were at the house that night. And I was sitting around there with all these guys. And the preachers were all there. And we're talking. And uh, my pastor was there. And, I, and you know what I said? I said, I know why God brought Paige to our church. She still had a boyfriend. <laughs> and, I said, and they said, oh, yeah, why is that? I said, she's going to be my wife. And they all laughed at me. Oh, they laughed at me. <laughs> I was that sure of it. She brought her boyfriend to church one night, and he was, sitting, he was standing right here. He's where Sarah was, and uh, his name was Corey. He doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> he was standing next to her, and I said, so you must be Corey. <laughs> and he's like, yeah. And Paige is like, you know, and, uh, and I said, well, Paige, she comes to church now, so I assume you'll be at church tonight, won't you? He says, yeah, I'm like, and I hit him. I'm like, yeah, I bet you will. <laughs> I walked away. <laughs> I punked him right out of his shoes, man. He didn't know what to do. Well, of course, that didn't last. <laughs> and I swooped in. <laughs> and I remember we, had talk, we were talking for about three weeks. Right, and I'm in my I'm in the basement of the church. I had lost my job because uh, there was a brother in the church. Brother Kenning was in that church, and uh, we both had a job, and they were downsizing. And he just had a he had his first baby. He had just had Cole, and uh, they were going to lay Joe off because I had seniority over Joe. And I said, No, lay me off. Let him keep his job because he has a kid. So I got laid off. I lost my apartment, and I moved into the basement of the church. And I'm sitting there praying, and I'm freaking out. Because there's a part of me that just like, I just knew that this was who God put in my life to marry. I just knew it. But it was crazy. It was, it was bonkers. Yeah. <laughs> I'm with you. And I'm praying in earnest, like I'm crying, I'm pulling, I'm like, Lord, this is crazy. This can't be you. This can't, I, I, what are my friends going to think? What are the preachers going to think? What are the brethren going to think? What's everybody in the church going to think? This is ludicrous. I've only known this girl for a few weeks. How in the world? I'm thinking about marrying this girl. There's no way. And I'm starting to read. And I'm reading about the disciples in the ship when Jesus is asleep in the bow, you know, in the bottom of the ship. And they're freaking out. And they're pulling their hair out. Oh, Lord, what am I going to do? I'm so scared. And they run down to the bottom of that boat. And Jesus is sleeping. And I'm reading and I'm praying. I'm reading and I'm praying. And that voice came back. You know what he said? I read that verse. And he says, why are you so afraid? Don't you have any faith? And the Lord says, this is what he said. He says, I'm in this thing. You know what I did? I closed the book, got up off the ground, went, to my, uh, went out to my buddy. I said, hey, you want to buy my car? <laughs> He's like, how much? I'm like, a thousand bucks. He's like, yeah. I'm like, I got to go buy a wedding ring. <laughs> <laughs> These stupid knuckleheads say you got to have $10,000 to make in order to get married. <laughs> I'm not saying it's not a good idea, but I sure didn't have it. <laughs> I went out and bought me a ring. I took her to uh, Shadyside Park, walked her up this little stone hinge looking thing, trying to be as romantic as I could possibly be. 
And I said, will you marry me? She said, yes. Three months later, we got married. My friends came. And they said, you'll be out of the ministry in a year. You're crazy. You'll be out of the ministry in a year. You know what I told them? I said, you think I'm crazy. But there's a voice that I've known since I was eight years old. And that voice has been a steady, constant thing in my life. And God spoke to me and said, she's the one. So you can say what you want to say, but that's who God wants me to marry. I have three wonderful children. I have a home. There's been a lot of trials and stuff in the ministry that doesn't pertain to what we're talking about tonight. But I have heard God's voice tell me to leave someplace before. (laughs) But I know that I'm late and I don't want to keep you too long. This is just a little bit about me. But the thing that I want you to get out of this tonight is that knowing the book isn't enough. You have to be able to hear and discern God's voice for you. I've had preachers come up to me and say, you have a wonderful wife. You couldn't have picked a better wife to be a preacher's wife. That girl that I thought checked every box, Paige wouldn't have checked those boxes. But you know what God said? I don't worry about your stupid lists. What about you? Everybody trying to discern everybody else's life. What was the thing? Sam, Samuel didn't know. You know, he didn't know. God starts talking to him. Samuel goes to Eli. Samuel goes to Eli. If Eli was like most preachers today, they say, yeah, you're right. You probably shouldn't marry her because of this, 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 and this. And you know what? You probably should do this over here. And, you know, yeah. You know, I think, uh, you know, the Lord's probably talking to you. But let me tell you what, exactly what the Lord wants you to do. You got to give Eli some kudos. He didn't do that. You know what Christians want today? They want a preacher or they want some person on the face of this planet to tell them what God wants them to do. I'm telling you, if you live your life that way, you're going to run into a stinking tree. Because nobody can discern God's will for your life. Nobody. You have to be able to know what His voice sounds like and you have to be able to heed His voice. Because guess what? Sometimes he tells you to do stuff that nobody else would think is a good idea. Your parents ain't going to like it. Some of your friends ain't going to like it. Your preacher's going to go, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know. I mean, whatever, you know. I'm not telling you don't seek counsel, but guess what? You can seek counsel and God say, I understand the counsel. It's not bad counsel, but this is what I want you to do. And then you do it because God's voice is what's going to get you to where you need to be. We started this thing off. How in the world do I? How in the world do I transition? How do I go from this section of life to this section of life? You better hear God's voice. How is God talking to you? So let me ask you a question. When was the last time God spoke to you? Hmm? You say, you're arrogant. No, you want to know why I'm so confident? Because I know exactly where God wants me to be, and I know exactly what God wants me to do. I may fail on a day-to-day basis, but let me tell you something. I know exactly what God wants me to do. And you know, with that comes great confidence. 
And when bad things happen, I at least know where I'm supposed to be. And I know that if I'm where God wants me to be, everything's going to be okay. You want to know why some of you in here are so up and down, up and down? Because you don't know what God's told you to do. And you don't know what his voice sounds like. And you're looking for somebody, and you're looking for answers from somebody else. And God says, you can keep asking, but guess what? You ain't going to find the right direction. You're going to mess up. You're going to mess up. You better make sure that you know what God wants you to do. Do you know what his voice sounds like? Do you know what it sounds like? What's God told you to do? Are you doing it? Some of you in here, you're going through that transition right now. You know what it is? Your life's a soup, stinking sandwich. And you realize that being a Christian ain't as easy as it was underneath the roof of your parents' house. That's what you know right now. You know what you're going to need to be able to do? Hear his voice. Can you hear his voice if he talks? Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for tonight. I thank you, Lord, for being so good to me. I want to thank you, Lord, for just, just being willing to talk to me. When my life was a mess, Lord, you, even in the middle of the mess and the sin and the stupidity and the immaturity, Lord, you still took time to speak. Lord, if there's one thing I could thank you for tonight, I do thank you for the Bible. But Lord, just as much for the Bible, Lord, I want to thank you for your voice. That Lord, you do care about us and you do give us direction. And Father, I pray for each and every person in this church here tonight, Lord, that they would know your voice. They hear you when you speak. Father, my heart's prayer for the young people and for old people of light, Lord, is that, Lord, they would hear your voice and get direction from you that they may wind up exactly where you want them to be in the confidence in their Christianity. And, Lord, that their Christianity be real to them because they can solidify it through your voice. Lord, we can do nothing without you. And so I pray that you bless this time now and maybe bless a word of testimony. I thank you for all you've done for me and where you've brought me from and where you've brought me to. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What he didn't tell you there was after he got paid, uh, we were doing a camp and we got kind of uh, connected through another person. Uh, conflict never ends. It never does end. It never will end. It can't end. It's just part of life and you got to go on. Uh, but sometimes God will bring a couple of people together and you'll see something and you'll say, man, this is good. This is good. This, this is possible. I can see this. It's a possibility. Just like his church. I've seen a possibility here. Nobody else saw it. I, I said, man, we can do this. We can do this. And that was probably stupid on my part, but here we are today. But, uh, we, we started having camp and we said, Hey man, we got to get closer. And we started having that one up in, in, uh, Fort Wayne and, uh, old preacher come up to me and said, Mike, we've got a problem here. I said, well, I don't know what the problem is. What's the problem? Because I'm kind of stupid. Anyways, he goes, he goes, Brother Joe and, and the church he's in has got a problem with some other stuff, and we got to straighten this out. This thing can't keep going like this. And, and I looked at him and I said, Brother, I said, uh, there's something in that young man that is different than other young men. You could see it. You could just see it. And uh, I knew that if, if, the, if it failed, if we broke right there, there's a possibility that the camp would just go to the wayside and it wouldn't be anything. And then the investment that I invested was not going to side. But that wasn't, it didn't, I didn't care about the investment or the money or anything else. I just seen a young man that had a possibility in his life. 
And guess what? There was somebody that helped me when I was coming up. And there was always somebody there that was just a little bit higher or in some position where I, that, that could help me survive a storm that was getting ready to come up. And uh, he goes, you really think there's something in that young man? And I said, yeah, there's something in that young man. He said, are you sure? I said, yeah, man, I'm absolutely sure there's something there. Uh, this other preacher took my word, and uh, I mean, he, he actually valued what I said. He said, okay, let me handle this thing. And from there on out, it was hilarious. <laughs> it wasn't for him, but it was for me. I was laying on the couch. It's like he's talking about Jesus laying on the back of the boat. That was me on the back of the boat. <laughs> I was laying up there, in the, and, and he was down there, and this pre preacher just, he ripped his hide off, man. I mean, he, he actually skinned him alive. <laughs> and, and he'll tell you if he ever tells you a story. True? Skinned him, man. I mean, skinned him. You know what he did? He said, I got it. He's right. He heard the voice of the Lord uh, coming through somebody else. And two or three of us got together, and, and I'm sitting there sleeping, and he comes up. I mean, he's tore up. He's just, I mean, just tore up. I'm like, go do something, man. Leave me alone. I'm taking a nap. <laughs> like, uh, don't, don't come to me in your, in your dire strait and your hard trouble and everything. Because when I hear the word of the Lord, I'm at calm. I'm at peace. Because I know the Lord's working. And I know sometimes the Lord works in tribulation. I've seen that in my life. I've already seen it. I've seen it in his. And we're here today because he made another decision right then and there that cost me six months in my house. <laughs> Watch what you do sometimes when you say stuff because the Lord may use you, but he may use you as an avenue to help somebody else. And there's nothing wrong with that. I don't regret it at all because we're here today because of a whole series of things that happened in his life, happened in my life back and through there. It'll happen in yours if you let it happen. Take some books, go to 314. You got to get to the place. His story is no different than mine or yours. It could be. I sit out on the back porch too and looked up in the sky and said, hey, you in the sky, sky God, 